Okay, so today we continue in John's Gospel. Um, I kind of gave you a quick overview in the background, got a few more things in the background I want to highlight, um, and then we'll actually get into John's Gospel, which I'm excited about. Um, as I said uh, yesterday, you know, it was is the last gospel written towards the end. Uh, Christianity was well on its way in expanding, explosive religion, spreading across the empire, um, you know, and a lot of that was just the disciples, the Christians out giving their testimonies, being witnesses to the power of God. And they were out witnessing, they were out sharing their faith about Jesus and about the way of Jesus, and sometimes they're even called the way, and they're out spreading the good news. Uh, that there began to be some issues about what a real disciple is and who's a real disciple, and of Jesus, and and um, uh, and about about who Jesus really is. And so John wrote writes the Gospel of John, which uh, clarifies that and gives us a very unique and a very special view of Jesus, a window to Jesus like no other window. Um, and uh, and as I shared before, uh, John 20, 31 is the key verse that kind of lays out exactly what we're here for. It's just, but these are written, what? The, the things that are written in this gospel. These, these are written that you may believe, okay? And again, that's the word pistos, that's faith, that you may have faith, not just an intellectual acknowledgement, but that you may have faith, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have zoe. Remember, I explained what that meant. Zoe is more than just bios. It's more than just physical life. It's quality of life, right? Um, the central theme being that Jesus is the Messiah, the divine Son uh, of God who reveals uh, the Father, we don't see God, but we see Jesus, and therefore we see God. Um, I give you the basic outline, the book of signs, the book of glory, and the epilogue, and the prelogue, prelude. Um, a little bit about John. You know, I mean, I didn't go into John too much. We know he was, he's a Jew from Israel. Uh, he lived in Judea, um, what we would call modern day Israel. Um, he was a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. Although although he's a Jew from Israel, he's Galilee was not a, a uh, Galilee was a mixed region. So there were people from all over the world there, particularly Romans and Greeks. Um, so he was, even though a provincial person, he really probably had access and influence from all over the world. Uh, one of the sons of Zebedee, right? His father was Zebedee. The other being his brother James. Um, fished. Uh, he had a little fishing business. He had his fishing partners, which were Peter and Andrew, and um, and these guys are all related. You know, of course, this is a little village, and if you know you come from a small town, you know what this is like. Everybody's related to each other one way or another, right? Um, and and so his his cousins, Peter and Andrew, uh, they had a fishing business. Uh, they hired employees. You know, sometimes they're painted. The apostles are painted as as like homeless people or something. They weren't that poor. They weren't wealthy, but they had a business. I mean, they were they were probably what we would consider middle class. Um, after one year, it was called to be uh, one of the twelve. After traveling with Jesus, uh, he he actually started out as a a follower of John the Baptist. And that's an interesting thing because John the Baptist had his own disciples, of which John was 
John, uh, John, son of Zebedee, was probably one of them. Well, not probably; he was one of them, and um, and he begins to follow Jesus, and then gets called to be an apostle by Jesus. Uh, he was one of the three closest, with uh, of course, with Peter and with James and John. They were together at the Mount of Transfiguration, and you often see the three of them together, right? Um, uh, Gethsemane, they were together. When Jairus' daughter was raised, uh, they were together. Um, and he, he ministered with, with Peter, and we see them together in the book of Acts. And he was one of clearly one of the pillars uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, and he ended his life exiled uh, on the island of Patmos, which is an island off the coast of Turkey uh, by the Romans because he was, you know, evangelizing all the time, and he was making so many disciples and such a big impact on the church. Uh, tradition has it they they exiled him, put him on the island. Uh, I actually went to the island, climbed it. It's I think the whole Star Wars thing with Luke on an island, and and Ray goes and finds him. I think they stole that from from the Apostle John because he was on an island, and if you wanted to go visit him, you go out to this island in the middle of nowhere and climb all these stairs and go up and visit him. And in fact. Uh, there's a place that tradition has it's a cave that he stayed in and there's a carving there like a bed and it literally has a sign that says John slept here um, so those signs are actually really out there um, and there's a good chance that he did because I, I looked around the cave and I thought well if I was going to sleep here where would I sleep that's probably the most likely place um, so uh, and, and of course uh, not only did he write the gospel of John of course he wrote First, second, and third John, and wrote Revelation. Um, that so he's a pretty prolific author. Not the most prolific author. Uh, that would be uh, Luke, but uh, he did write a lot, and we have a lot of our understanding of Christianity and who Jesus is comes from this gospel and his writings and Revelation. Um, it was just very clear that the need was to give us a little more detail of who is Jesus. And of course, who is Jesus would be battled over for the next for the first 300 years of the church's history. There would be there would be a battle between different people over trying to describe who exactly Jesus was and they they'd get into explaining, you know, the things that really I think went way beyond what was necessary. But to this day that's a big issue. Uh, of course, modern thinking, popular thinking is that Jesus was a great prophet, but no more. I mean, people don't generally walk around thinking that Jesus is God in the flesh, uh, even though people still consider them, a lot of people consider themselves Christian, but that was actually one of the tests of Christianity, whether you were a true Christian or not, whether you recognized Jesus as God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Messiah. And two of the fastest growing religions in the world very similar, one very not American, non-American, one very American. The non-American one is Islam. Uh, that's also, you know, came from the Middle East. Very, uh, very much believe Jesus is only a prophet, nothing more. One of the great prophets, but only a prophet. Uh, Isa, they refer to him uh, as Isa, and he's he's one of the great prophets, but not God in the flesh. Certainly not. Uh, certainly not God in the flesh and certainly not uh, anything special and not above Abraham, or excuse me, uh, Muhammad. But then even the Mormons have a very different belief and a very different teaching 
on Jesus as well as the Jehovah's Witness. So that you've got some different teachings. And understand for 2,000 years, that was the test of real Christianity, is do you recognize Jesus as Son, Savior, the Christ, the God, the Son of God, and the Savior? I mean, that is, that is you know, and, and there's there's a lot there. But so, so John does focus on who is Jesus. Of course, you've got the seven I am statements. I mentioned that yesterday. Uh, I am the bread of life in John 6, 35. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12, and 9, 5, twice. I, I am the doorway or the gate, John 10, 7. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And all of these, I mean, these are these are a great study. I mean, this is a great sermon series, actually. This is this is a great study because all of them tell you a lot about who Jesus is. Uh, so much so that they probably could be like three classes themselves, three or four classes. Um not only do we have these, the I am statements. Oh, and, and just one more thing about the I am statement is, is, is the, the, the statements were in a form that was, that made a statement itself. The fact that he said in Greek, ego eimi, okay, I, I am, ego eimi, I, I am. That statement is particularly important because as I mentioned before, people were familiar with the uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the of the Bible, which of the Old Testament we call it the Old Testament. The Jews wouldn't call it the Old Testament, but that's what they were familiar with. In fact, some of the quoting the quotes that we see in our New Testament come from the Septuagint, the Greek translation. So you know, one little cool little thing is that it's okay to use translations, right? So so, anyways, he 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 um uh uh. He uses that statement, ego me. So when this would be read, of course, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, but these this gospel would be read to everybody. This would be shared. Most people were not literate. And and so they would hear the ego me statements. Where else did they hear that statement? They heard that statement when Moses said, Whom shall I say sent me? The answer was, I am is sending you or sent you. The ego me. So again, this is this there's all these little things embedded in the teaching pointing to who Jesus is. Okay, so if God says the I am is sending you, and then Jesus says, I am the I am, that's pretty clear who he's claiming to be. I am ego me, the bread of life, ego me, the light of the world, ego me, the doorway or the gate. Ego and me. So, so these these statements would jump out to them, and, and people in the first century were probably much better listeners than we are. We're so distracted, and we're multitaskers, and half of us are probably watching this and and looking up things on the internet and playing on our computers or looking at our phones. We're we're very distracted, and we're all over the place. But you know, in in ancient times, people were very good listeners, and they caught things. So phrases, plays on words, double meanings, uh, you'll, and you'll see a lot of that in the scriptures, where if you're paying close attention, oh, you catch all these little golden nuggets that are embedded. They're like, it's like a tapestry, but it has diamonds and rubies 
and gems embedded and precious stones embedded that if you're just looking at it real quick, you won't catch it. But the more, the, the closer you look, the more you pay attention, the more you catch all these things. You know, the, the, uh, what does each of these I am statements mean? And why did he say ego and me? There's a reason why, and we just talked about that, right? There's the seven signs, uh, the seven miracles, uh, the, the water to wine, the healing of the official son, healing of the pool at Bethsaida, the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, the man born blind, uh, the resurrection of Lazarus. Okay, every one of these says something about who Jesus is. They're not just randomly chosen. It's not just like, well, he did seven miracles, so that's why they're in there. Now, he did many miracles. In fact, the end of John says he, there's not even enough books to write everything he did in. But but these were chosen specifically for a reason. These are recorded. So again, it's like, you know, it's like it, it's like if you have a bunch of old family videos, probably eighty percent of them are just boring. But you, we'd all wish that we could kind of distill those videos down to about one hour of really good stuff, right? Little clips of all the different ones we have. That's what the gospel is. It's it's it, the gospel of John is the the clips of very significant moments and very significant things that Jesus said and did that we need to know. I've shared in the past about how I, I realize that God keeps me on a need-to-know basis, right? Uh, there's things that I need to know, and there's things I don't need to know. And I have to be okay with that. I can't think so great am I that God has to answer to me and explain everything to me, and I need to know everything about God. Not true. Uh, in fact, the truth is, in heaven, my opinion doesn't really count for a whole lot. That That's, that's God's realm and in fact, let's just say my opinion doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything. And, and, and I can't think that I, how great I am that God needs to explain everything to me. No, God keeps me on a need to know basis. What I need to know, thankfully, he does tell me. What I don't need to know, I just need to keep faithful. I need to have my faith in God, my faith in Jesus. Trust him. Trust is a huge part of faith is to say, I trust God. He, if he doesn't tell me why, or if he does something that I don't understand, it's okay, because I trust him. I know that he loves me. I know that he, God is good. I know that God is righteous. And some things on this side of heaven are going to seem crazy. But on the other side of death, some of those things will make perfect sense. And if you're looking from an eternal perspective, then things make way more sense than if you're looking at it from the lifespan of a human being, which is just a tiny blip on the screen, right? The Bible says your life is like a mist. If you spray bottle into the air, you see it for about two seconds and then it's gone. And that's our life. Boom. It's here. And then it's gone. God's perspective is always so, so he sees everything and we have to trust him. So this is why John's gospel is so helpful because it really helps you to know a lot of important information. A lot of the things that will help us that we do need to know, they're in John's gospel. Who is Jesus, right? Who is he? Uh, the major themes in John's gospel, uh, Jesus' identity, which is what I've been talking about. You know, who is he? Who is he really? Um, acknowledgement of Jesus, the importance of recognizing him, Understanding who he is and knowing him. 
right? Not just, not just, oh yeah, I know that guy, that's Jesus, you know? I mean, I grew up, everybody in my family had a picture of Jesus on the wall. I knew who he was because I saw the picture, right? Did I really know him? No, I didn't know him. But I knew I could point him out. And I thought that meant I knew him. Well, no, actually, I've now spent, uh, actually, today, no, yesterday is my 38th spiritual, was my 38th spiritual birthday. Um, and I've spent a whole lifetime getting to know Jesus. And I still want to know him more. And I, I totally understand what Paul says, I want to know Christ. And Paul probably had already been a Christian 30, 40 years when he wrote that. He said, I just want to know Jesus. And the more I get to know him, wow, the better my life, the freer I am, the less anxiety and fear and stress I have, the more. And that's something I have to continually practice because I get up all stressed out and anxious and I have to go to God and I have to focus on Jesus. And so these are so valuable so acknowledgement of Jesus, def- definitions of disciples of Jesus. I talked to, I mentioned that, that, that because it became a question, wait a second, there's a whole other group out there calling themselves Christians. Are we the same as them? And so you see, so what John did or the, the Holy Spirit guided John to do is record these statements where he says it. This is what a Christian is, right? Um, love, love is a huge theme in, in, in John's gospel, you know, and, and in first, second, and third John, uh, this, this is a huge, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that later and light and darkness, the battle of light and darkness, but there's clearly, clearly John in, in John's mind and the way John presents reality there, he wants us to understand that there's, there is a battle of light and darkness. I think this is huge. I think that, that we oftentimes we have no idea that we're living in a war zone. We we're living in Disneyland. Everything's great, and you know you just do your stuff. And and if the lines are long, we complain. And why is life hard? You know my internet's down to thirty megabytes per minute. What what's going on here? And we don't understand. We forget that we're living in a war zone. There's a battle between light and darkness raging all around us, and we're on a side. We chose a side when we said Jesus is Lord. We chose a side. And the truth is, in a war zone, you're either the enemy, the ally, you've chosen a side, or you're a prisoner of war. You're, you're, there's, no, there's no neutral zone here. You can't be a Christian a Switzerland. You don't get to declare neutral. Uh, that, you know, the Bible says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good, right? That You don't get to just play neutral. Jesus was not neutral. He was in the fight. He was in the battle. He talked about it a lot. So, um, so these are, these, these are five major themes. His identity, acknowledgement of him, definition of what a disciple is, love, light and darkness. So going back to the very first one, I mentioned this yesterday, um, about the fish, you know, the sign of the fish and, and how, and, and you could see, if you see the picture there, uh, you see that somebody carved out in Greek letters, ixtus. You see the iota, the chi, the theta, the upsilon, and the sigma uh, letters there. If you read that, it says ixtus, and that's the word for fish, but it's also the acronym for Jesus Christ, God, Son, and Savior. Jesus Christus Theos Wheels Sopater, right? Jesus Christ, God, Son, and Savior. So Jesus, what does Jesus mean? God with us, right? Who's like God saves, 
What does Christos mean? The Messiah. What does Theos mean? God. What does Huios mean? His son. And what does Sopater mean? The Savior. So, boom, you've got, you've got an entire definition of Jesus right there. Some of, some of us grew up going to a traditional church where we had to learn, uh, uh, what it was, what is it called? Uh, now I can't remember the name of the creed, the apostles creed. I believe in one church, the Holy Roman, you know, we had to learn all that. That creed was developed to make sure people didn't change who Jesus is so that we would all memorize our belief, right? That Jesus is the son of God that, um, I don't remember it anymore. I had to learn it for first communion, but that was a long, 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 long time ago. Now here's something really cool is that that little wheel next to the word. This is graffiti. This is graffiti. These are, these are Christian taggers from the first century. They were tagging a wall in Rome and, uh, and, and somebody, and still there, you know, somebody, somebody protect, you can actually go see this, but the, 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 the little wheel next to it, you know, everybody's thinking, well, what's the oldest symbol in Christianity? Everybody always thinks the cross, maybe the fish. Actually, this is even the oldest one right here. It's that wheel. That wheel is the oldest one. Why the wheel? Well, because if you notice, every letter next to it is in that wheel. Every letter in there, the I, the iota's in there, the chi, the X, the theta, the circle with the line through it, the even the U, the um, with the line going up and then splitting into a Y. It looks like a Y, and then the sigma. Even the sigma's in there, so they're all in there. Um, every one of them's in there. So that was kind of the little symbol to to to, to say it all, you know. So Ixtus is a sim- is tells us who Jesus is, and then the wheel was the symbol of Ixtus. In John 20, excuse me, John 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Okay, there it says right there, boom. I mean, you don't even need to look, you don't need to go any farther than that. I mean, when people are questioning, is this, is Jesus really the Son of God? It's right there. Yes, he said it. I and the Father are one. Okay, we are one. We're not two. We're not separate. We're one. And people will say, well, wait a second. How can they be one if there's two of them? Okay, but but you're thinking physical properties. Physically, you can't be two and be one, right? You're either one or the other, literally, right? But when you're a spiritual being, when you live outside the three dimensions that we live in, when none of the laws of physics apply to you, you can be one and a million. You can be one and quadrillion. You know, I made that one up. You can be. You, there's no limit to who and what you are. So when Jesus says, "I and the Father are one," don't think like a human. Don't think like, like, like you know, physics and the laws of property, physical laws of property. No, this is this is God, a spiritual being. He says, "I and the Father are one." Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones. To stone him. Why? Why would they want to stone Jesus from that statement? Because any Jew knows you never claim to be God. You never claim to be God. That's blasphemy. That's, that's idolatry. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They picked up stones to stone him. You, a mere man, claim to be God. 
Okay, so there's no ambiguity here. There's no vagueness. There's no uh, mystery. People would like to present things that way. I remember a gentleman from another religion came to my Bible talk and and he and he just kind of went off on me about how ridiculous it was that God, the creator of the universe, would make himself a mere man. He he just thought that was outrageously stupid. That that how could the creator the why would the creator of the universe make himself a man? I my response was that's a great question. Let's look at the answer to that. Why would somebody give up the glory of heaven to be found in the shape of a man? Hmm, great study right there. And John, right from the beginning, and we're going we're gonna to read this, and then I got to stop here. Um, right from the beginning, answers that question, or actually explains this at the very beginning John chapter 1 verse 1 en arche gen hologos kai hologos en prostonceon kai theos en hologos autos en arche prostonceon panta ti auto egeneto kai juris auto egeneto udeen O gegenomen gegenenen en auto zoe en chai en zoe en tos foston anthropon. Now stop there. Let's try that in English. In the beginning, and I already talked about how the beginning, you know, that that matches Genesis 1 and Arhe. And anybody listening to this who's listening, who's listened to the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, which most people had um, at this point, would recognize this, right? The 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 in the beginning statement. It's the same as the Septuagint. So so John's gospel starts exactly the same as Genesis chapter one, but now we're in cha- John chapter one. It says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." Okay, the logos has a special meaning to everybody, to the Jews, to the Greeks. A little bit different. Logos was the symbolic. Uh, the symbol of all things created, everything kind of encapsulated. We might even say the singularity, right? Uh, for the Jews, it was the it was the representative of all creation, of all things that are that that God has created. Um, don't no time to get into all that. But but what what the point being was that John's gospel starts saying, "In the beginning was this all being, this all thing." And the word all thing was with God, and this everything is God. It was God. So right from the beginning, he establishes with and is, which again can only happen in a supernatural realm, realm, not in the physical realm, not in what you and I do. We cannot occupy two spaces at one time. But in the spiritual realm, absolutely. And and this is a cool thing, is right now in the physics world they're already finding all this stuff they're already finding that 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 things can actually occupy two spaces and all this weird stuff that we didn't know of course we hadn't known for the last since the dawn of of, of mankind we haven't known 
since man was created. And not, just now in the last 25 years, we're discovering all these things of other dimensions and other, you know, they're talking about parallel universes and alternate realities, all that stuff. Basically, what we're just discovering is that what we see is not everything. And there's more to it than, than what we see. There's more out there that would make this perfectly possible, perfectly plausible, and that the Bible already knew a long time ago, right? And it says he was with God in the beginning, right? So this logos, this being, this thing that represents everybody, everything, all creation, this person was with God and was God. He was with God in the beginning, personal pronoun here. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without, without him, nothing was made that has been made. So this singularity, this logos, this being, everything was made through this being. Okay, this being didn't pop up 2,000 years ago, tell some really great stories, and then get crucified and died. He's been around a long time. And in him was life, Zoe, right? And that life was the light the, the 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 light the force the of all mankind the light shines in darkness so we, we got so in I already explained what so means life right it's the quality of life and light and what do we need light for light helps us to see light what does light represent usually represents knowledge understanding when we say this person is enlightened or I've been enlightened that means I've come to understand right I, I've come to the to the awareness. No, when 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 people go to visit uh, poverty stricken areas, and we would send them uh, to to learn, and you could tell when they got woke, right? When they woke up and realized the rest of the planet does not live like them, and they would be enlightened. They'd come back changed. The kids we send to youth court, many of them come back changed, especially the ones that go to Africa or India or Latin America. They, they've been enlightened. So light oftentimes represents knowledge or understanding, right? It also represents goodness. Uh, it also also represents uh, 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 wisdom and and just being aware and awareness. When you go into a room that's dark, you turn the lights on. Why? Well, so you can see. So you know what's before you. You can see the path. You can also see any danger around you without the light. You can't see, you're going to run into things, you could fall, you could get yourself hurt, there could be danger around you. Why is all, you know, when, when is the bewitching hour? When is when do, when do scary movies happen? In the morning? No, they happen at night, right? When it's dark and you can't see and you don't know what's, what's happening. There's a lack of information. In fact, some even argue, some philosophers would argue that evil actually doesn't exist because darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. You know, I turn on a light, it overcomes everything. There isn't another thing called a dark lamp that I turn the dark lamp on and it overcomes the light. No, light, darkness can't overcome it. And that's what he says. The light shines in darkness and darkness has not overcome it. Um, and some, some translations say has not understood it. This is one of those moments where where, because the word could be dis, could could be translated either way. It can mean either one. It can mean why? Because they both apply. They're both the truth. Darkness neither understands the light, nor can it overcome the light. 
Darkness is an illusion. It's the absence of light. That's all it is. We fear the dark because we're ignorant in the dark and we can't see the danger and we can't see the path and we don't see the obstacles and we need more information. And that's what Jesus provided. He comes with the I am statements, with the, the, the signs and wonders. He comes showing us who God is so that we can know God. So our little tiny brains that are so finite and so stuck in what we, in our senses of what we can see, touch, smell, you know, taste and hear that, that we can't comprehend an all powerful, all knowing God. Well, so Jesus came so that we can comprehend God, so that we can understand God, right? So, so the light shines in darkness. He gives us this knowledge and safety and the darkness is not overcoming. So we're out of time. Got to stop there. It's just getting good. We'll see you tomorrow.